Good evening, everyone. My name is Brianna Reese, and I am a senior here at Philadelphia University. I major in Law and Society, and I'm the student coordinator of the Arlen Spectre Center. Tonight, we are hosting our Gift of Grief contest and roundtable. And at this time, I'll turn the table over to Professor Gertzie. Okay, thank you very, very much. And um, I would like to turn the uh, table over to Haru Jang, who wrote a very beautiful essay that she will read, and she's the winner of the Daniel Gerstein Award uh, uh, essay contest. Thank you all for having me here and giving me this opportunity to share my moment of grief. Um, so I put my heart out on this, and I hope this will touch you guys when I read it out loud. Um, my essay is called How to Save a Life. Loss is an unpredictable stalker, often prowling in the darkness, just waiting to blindside its unsuspecting victims. Sometimes, loss is more obvious in its inevitability, like the promise of death in the sterile confines of a hospital. And each loss bears a subsequent specter of grief, which haunts those who are left behind. Most of us who have encountered loss have met this phantom at some point in our lives, for bereavement is a manifestation of love. Each time we meet it, we always come away changed, as excruciating as sorrow can be. It has the potential to change lives around for the better. For this instance, without experiencing loss and the ensuing grief, I would not be alive today. My personal encounters have led me to believe that positively channeled grief imparts compassion and gratitude, which can ultimately save more lives than loss can take. Born into an attentive family and raised in the secure suburbs of Pennsylvania, it would seem unlikely that I would experience much danger in my formative years. At the time, pain was simply falling from my bike scraping my knee. I would cry, but then I would get over it. Little did I know there were more lasting kinds of pain in the world. When I experienced rape, I was much too young to understand what it was. At nine years old, it was my first taste of pain that I could not just simply get over. It would take five more years of suffocating silence intense distrust and self-hatred to drive me towards suicide. While my attempt was thankfully thwarted, my teenage self remained unconvinced that such a result was fortuitous. In the depths of my depression, suicide had seemed like a win-win situation. It would alleviate my burdensome presence from others, as well as relieve me of an existence I could not sought other ways to lash out at my family and anyone else who had intervened. I believed death was the ultimate freedom. However, true understanding of death, adopted from China when he was three, he understood his parents unconditionally. I had never seen a child dote on his parents so much. Before I knew it, I was spending my weekends babysitting and watching cartoons with him. It was genuine and wanted nothing more than to become an astronaut artist on Neptune and stop trying to invent something new. Refresh
refreshed by his ingenuousness. He never got better, though, and I spent the following weekends accepting his request uneasily. I wondered what he could possibly he loved the most in the world. In the end, his, with certain longing, Tian Tian divulged his most fervent wish to grow the way they took such loving care of him. My friend never lived to see his ninth birthday. Tian Tian, who wanted until his parents reached out to thank me, they knew I have crossed paths with him and his family. Without around him, I would have surely tried to throw my life away again. This remains through me and all the other lives he has touched. And now, and I would have never respected this life without that grief. Way. Let it motivate us to seize opportunities. Appreciate <laughs> Well, we have his napkins. <laughs> 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 that was really unbelievably beautiful. I think we need to kind of digest that. Okay. <laughs> that was just incredible. Congratulate people who participated in that honorable mention. So, uh, I don't think anyone was breathing, actually. <laughs> so, what, what happens when we hear a, such a happens to us? What does it, it, I know for me it stimulates my own stories and my own memories and they feel so, as you said, you feel like you're, you're laying your heart out there by, by telling them. So what happens? And we, we experience what we try not to experience because it's too painful, but it comes, and I think that's the difficulty. Of it. Yeah, that's a great answer. Why does the door get closed? Just kind of initiate that avoidance. We do that throughout our daily lives, but then when you hear a story, you kind of just um, coincide that with what happened to your personal life. So, so we use it as, like, um, it's risky to be that vulnerable, to open up that door, and vulnerable, but it um, but it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, a lot of courage. I think it's about suffering, that when we see somebody else's courage, it's so sad to me. I mean, I'm a mother, I'm a group for you all to go into that place, but that's the only thing you can do. You can't die. Can you say what it meant to you to write the book? Like what that helped with father? And he said, where's your outline? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not doing it. I handed it to an editor up in New York City with a peer ready, handed to me in a pink bow. Then she gave it back to me and she said, you're Katie, that was the original title. So then I did, then it started to grow and grow well at all. I mean, that's my opinion. And uh, so you're going to take some real hard knocks. I have a question for the therapist here. Why do we lock it behind the door? Looks up, I don't want her to see my face looking crumbled, like yeah. even though she's making me do that. We kind of don't want to be seen maybe in that very vulnerable. I said, take that picture. <laughs> but then I didn't. Because um, of your man's fault, right? When someone's talking about a, a grief or pain or loss, you get robs years of your life and you don't get that back. So that is, and, and I fear too. I don't know, what do other people think? Yes? So Evan, um, Stuart Gerstein here, in this case, women seem to process it as part of a village. <laughs> <laughs> of course! <laughs> <laughs> and, 
MJ will tell you that she has a group, a huge group of women, mothers, who really want to get together and talk about the death of their child. But if you ask the husbands of those mothers, none of them are connected in groups. They don't want to. And I've asked them many times. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think that that's, a, that's like a vast generalization. I, I agree that it is. I think it's a generalization, but I do think it's true, sweetie. Just so the radio reflect that that's your daughter when you say, sweetie, I just want to She can get away with it. Groups who are born in the 20s and 30s, we have a generational difference. Yeah. One of them is 50% young men, and the other one is all women. That's interesting. Yeah. Can you tell us about your group? We'll yeah, dad, can you finish. Men and women. You want to talk about it? I, I think that, well, let, let's talk about men our age. Yeah, my well, like, yeah. well, guys, talk about you. Let's <laughs> talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> we, could have, we could have a family session. <laughs> it's going in the cloud. I have learned so much from the Durstein. Sorry. No, I love you. Well, Stuart, I would say, I will say this, and I know my husband would say it if he were here, but if he were to address the death of Katie out loud, you would be the one you would do it. Thank you. That's, that's I, I think that men build things. Chop wood. <laughs> Becky, can you tell us about the dinner party? Yeah. Um, so I'm part of an organization. It's called the Dinner Party. They have it in Philadelphia, um, but I live in New York, and it's for people in their 20s and 30s who have like had significant losses. So I've been in one for a year. So I, I run out, and I run my own. So like I run out of my apartment. So I may go to a lot of kale. And <laughs> I like invite over a bunch of people who have had losses. The dinner party like sends me their information, what kind of losses they've had. Um, and then like they are welcome to come to my group. And it's very free, it's very free flowing. Um, because like we find that it's like a very specific experience to lose someone in your twenties and thirties versus like a little bit different for like my dad or my mom and like that it's an alienating experience. It's alienating, did you say? Yeah. yeah. I mean I think no matter how old you are it can be alienating, but that a lot of young people feel like uh, their peers aren't going through the same types of things, um, that was done for the first time. Yeah. Um and I mean, so the group that I run is interesting. Is that by design? Oh. Yeah, and I asked for just any siblings, but who are under 30. Wow, that's like yeah. really being an orphan young. Yes, it was horrible. It was, it was nice, but it was like 10 hours of food. It's tiring, it's tiring. It's exhausting. There's even a heaviness, it's like everyone's quiet. And it's as natural, one of the most natural things we do. But yet we don't know how to talk about it, and the only way we could talk about it. The whole community comes out and has their rituals, and it's so much more normalized. Whereas we, you know, even though it's three years later, it's like, I, I, I will see people, I'd be like, totally. A loss like that. Absolutely. And I, and I think even for, I was thinking of, you know, young people. Or maybe they have fewer losses. Fewer it's losses, less I mean, it's not like cool to talk about. Yeah. Um, no. Who 
who also wrote one honorable mentions. Does anyone want to talk about the experience of writing? Experience, and I know others that I've you know spent time with. They come to that moment, and you know uh, you realize their anxiety. That's what Anne was saying. All along, like it's been three years since um, our, our son died, and people will say, "Are you okay yet?" Or how? And I say, this is just as good as it gets, and this is who I am now. And there's the before, you're, you're, you're grieving still. There's not, but I, I think you don't know until you go through it that there's. Like this is what other people expect you to do. And I know, like for me, I was, I was starting to get my dad so something in my head that frustrated me, frustrated me was like, okay, it's been five years. Like, why are you acting like this now? Why is it 13 years old? And not one of my friends knew what I was going through. And. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was like, someone mentioned it, it was like, I overheard once, so I went down in the basement my, at my friend's house, and I had a blast across, and I died. And, yeah, but it's yeah. someone that's close to you. I don't think that it ever really goes away. Just like you said, you, it becomes who you want. Dad, when we heard mentioning our dads, and I was like, not really. Like, it's something that you just have to deal with. Like, right. it's an everyday. I want people to think that, because it is yeah. nice. Like, it's like you can talk about your dad, and yeah. it'll, like, trigger me. Right, like, yeah. it's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I experienced a different type of grief uh, with mental illness in my family. And I think the, like how people are going to judge you. Um, my older sister is bipolar, and it was really hard to watch her you know, like not knowing how to deal with it, and like being like that perfect family in school, and like watching us boss when you were in high school. It took me till I was in graduate school to to even like that's something that can happen also. That you will be you're going along, and you think <laughs> you're not crying about your father. Your uncle, you're crying about your father. And having a really hard time, then his girlfriend had approached me and was like, Please, can you talk to him? Like, I guess he was just having a really high school, and it was like I was that go to person, which was weird in a way. But I want to just get back for a moment to what Bree was saying too that mental illness, and you know, you just never want to be that, that family, but sometimes you just are that family, and, and that. And it also, I think, too, Fran, you think this, and everybody else too <laughs> but I really tell you within 10 minutes normally I call it cheap vanilla ice cream you know the kind without the vanilla bean <laughs> you know you don't want to eat that right well, the good stuff yeah so that's what you want in relationships you're looking for more demons yeah that would be like I think that, if, that you can't see them until you've had an experience of Deep loss. And, and, and these are people who are pretty smart. Okay. Um, I, I do think that people move on and they expect people who. You know, unlike other places, and I've sort of alluded to this before, where maybe as a kid. And so I think for individuals, there's this. Move on all the time. Keep it moving. Yeah, keep it moving, keep functional, you know, keep doing stuff. And because we also have. Is part of this spirit of, you know. Um, and it's yeah. not, and you kind of get blamed for not moving. Right. I mean, yeah. Kind of, I think people kind of somehow think of, of, of physical illness is real, but a mental right. illness. You know, kidney disease, just get over it. You know, right. I mean, but it, it's just interesting how we. But like that we live in a mastery culture and that we're trying to master mm -hmm. um, things and we can't tell our opponent, like, this is my weakness. Um, and then, but sometimes, like, I know, like, a lot of the people that I talk to about grief, like, we get hurt by philosophies that you put up against. Because I know for me, uh, I really <laughs> Did you have a lot of friends? <laughs> Actually, I did. <laughs> so, yeah. the reason for everything. 
one of the things I've been reading uh, about, because I, I always say, like, don't say, I know what you're going through, you know, my dog died, or don't say <laughs> condolences versus something more packaged, like, you know, um, an answer or a platform. She's got a very bad diagnosis. And um, how do you deal with that, too? Uh, when people go, I'm there for you, um, um, or, the, you know, I always say to people that word or, you know, we're all awkward because, no. you know, it's, it's anxiety provoked. Sometimes I want to just give room for the fact that it can be awkward. So yes. I also have a friend that just got a pretty sick. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's exactly what you're saying, you know, which I think is important is not to do. So I guess that, you know, is that fine? I think that's just well, important right. to normalize. Um, and also, your reaction is just pure anger. Mm -hmm. And in some way, that anger kind of helps them you hurt. So you hurt them back. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after that, like for you, because they didn't want to admit I had a problem and then send me off to therapy because write it down, if you can't write it down, just get over it, you know? And they didn't understand how to approach And then the other thing about therapy, though, is that someone can force you to go to therapy, face those memories and that kind of pain. That is um, probably one of the most challenging things um, that we all have to face at some point and just masking it with your anger, saying that nothing nothing changes and you just stagnate and everyone else moves past you. Um, I'm Jessica Overpeck and I um, wrote about my friend a couple months ago. She had a um, drug overdose. So that was what I first experienced was just so much anger because there is a stigma with drug addiction where it's kind of like, well, she should have cared more about her life or she could have stopped if she wanted to, which with addiction, taking an addiction course, that is absolutely not the case. So hearing people say, she also had a four-year-old son, so hearing people say she didn't care about her child enough, why would she do this, how could she let a needle play more of a role in her life than her son or her family was something that I just couldn't mentally process, and I went through the entire portion of anger, I remember punching my steering wheel, it was a completely emotional breakdown, and then you just get to this point where you're just kind of numb, and you realize that the anger was something that was just masking my own vulnerability. And I remember I didn't really know how to voice myself to my friends or my family about it because I didn't want to come off as though I was so angry with her because she wasn't there anymore, and I just knew from addiction that that's not the case, is that it's not as simple as just stopping. So that was in talking about mental illness stigma, yeah. that was something that yeah. I reflected on right now as well, that there's a stigma with so many different components of death that I just kind of Yeah, and uh, anything having to do with mental illness, suicide, um, even, um, even oddly enough, uh, I, I murder, if when someone's murdered, they often say, well, what were they doing? Why yeah. are they there? Yeah. It's incredible. Um, more like an accident if someone's fighting. Yeah, yeah. like, well, why were they doing that? Yeah. You know, so, so sometimes we like to think, well, that couldn't happen to us, so someone must have been doing something that caused that. Yeah. So you almost have to justify, yeah. you know, um, why they're dead and you're not. Why they're dead uh, to somebody else yeah. or why you're struggling or... You know, well, like, in, in case of your friend, that, you know, must be very hard. It was, it was your friend, you know, no matter what the purpose or the reason, you missed your friend. Mm -hmm. um, we're just talking about timing. Uh, 
while you're talking to me for a second, um, I think it's very interesting what you just said because it, it is fear. Because if I can say, well, your friend died because they voluntarily took a needle. Right. I won't yeah. take a needle, so exactly. I'm not going to happen to me. Yeah. Or I, w I won't drive unsafe, or I won't right. drink, or I didn't smoke, or whatever, you know, you, you know, I didn't take that drug, whatever it may be, you make up those excuses because it won't happen to me. Mm -hmm. And that's how we do that, which is crazy, of course, because, yeah. again, every one of us is going to die, but it makes us feel comfortable. That we don't, we can feel safe because I didn't wear a short dress and go to a party and right. you know wear something. Right. Because it, exactly. it, it's always a reason we think, yeah. and yeah. I think Dale was absolutely right. There aren't any reasons. It's just a random, crazy, yeah. dangerous world, and but that's the way it do is. Put on. Mm -hmm. Another thing I was wondering. I, I don't know if I just noticed this, but there were more movies about loss this year, mm -hmm. even in the yes. not all land. <laughs> yeah, the cabins. <laughs> but you know, the Moonlight had a lot of loss themes. Was that lion Manchester by the sea? So I was wondering, is the culture? I, I just was wondering what people thought. If like why these you know award-winning movies were so much about death and loss and different kind of losses, and hoping that maybe the culture is needing to kind of process it a little bit, or that we we need a, we need a way to kind of talk about it. I don't know. Just was a thought. I think the New York Times every single Sunday seems to cover, uh, I have two articles here from the last two Sundays, mm -hmm. both on, on loss. One was on miscarriage, mm -hmm. uh, and another, uh, I forget what the other one was, but I, I almost expect it now, and I, I welcome it, because mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's made it what it is. It's like, like you said, Evan, like we are going to die. I mean, there's, somehow that statement comforted me. I, so I, outside the existential angst, that I am going to die, my, my daughter didn't have to suffer my death. Mm -hmm. I had to carry her death. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we are saying goodbye to someone or they're saying goodbye to us yeah. if we live long enough. Yeah, Some people lose their life so, so, so quickly, like your little friend, you know. And I feel like I want to live out some of the stuff that Katie didn't get a chance to do. Yeah. She was 28. That makes a lot of sense. And I want to be able to experience some things because she loved life. And she loved, she worked at UNICEF before she started her own foundation. This is all when she was six. She would negotiate these jobs from the hospital beds. People would hire her. I'm like, how come? Do they understand what this is going to be like for your insurance? It's going to cost you a lot of money to hire Katie. But they would hire her. Well, the one thing I was thinking about, there was a theme that kept coming back to me, is that, you know, in the midst of loss, we know it's a fundamental human experience, but many of the speakers this evening spoke about the potential for growth and nice. transformation nice. in the midst of this pain. So we do know that, uh, that loss uh, teaches us a lot. Right? It teaches us not only about leaning into our the pain a bit and, and the fear of vulnerability, but also the potential for tremendous growth and change uh, in ourselves and our perspective, you know, in the things that we value or in our relationships. Um, and I keep holding to that as thinking about the positive aspects of these events that are so tragic, you know, all of the losses, mm -hmm. uh, that there's something to be absolutely um, said about you know, what remains. I think 
think to add to what you're saying also is, um, I mean, my loss is at a young age, but I think that no matter what age it is, it's also like almost like a slap face to you or a wake up call. Like you can appreciate time and life so much more. And I know that, I mean, at 13, I had to grow up real quick. My dad was sick for a year and a half and there were things that I had to do to help take care of him while he was sick that, I mean, I don't think that now I, like, if I didn't experience it, I could do it. And I thought life is short and it's such a redundant thing that people say is life is short, life is short. But I think that I always said I was gonna do and follow his footsteps and to have a way to honor your loved one. Like, yeah. I mean, all of you have these, myself, I do a grief group of children and I think that that's yeah. just your way of dealing with your own loss, but who we are. That's what I really do. I think that I didn't even think of it until. My discipline is industrial design. Mm -hmm. um, and there are people in the field that are actually aimed recently for my seminar that I take with, um, with one of my teachers. She invited coins. And what you do is you, if you have um, these coins, these currencies, just your empathy that you're sharing with people. Mm -hmm. um, and first question is, what do you fear you know, about this game? And or about myself, but by the end you're like you know jumping and trying to share with everybody else. And this year where it deals a lot with loss, I think why there's so much in this theme. Why people yeah. really think about that? Yeah. Um, just a bad thing with losing someone into a great program. Um, a lot of my friends creating this program through design and making it an opportunity for everyone to. <laughs> Again, will be on the Philadelphia University Digital Voice. Uh, all of the honorable mentions. Should we give out the certificates at least? Uh, not everyone's here. I think it's best we give them. And also on the Philadelphia University All Inspector Center for Public Service will be the winning essay and all ten honorable mention uh, essays. Um, so we will, people will get a chance to read them and share them and hopefully profit from them like we all did tonight. Thank you all so very much. Thank you. Thank you.